This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at Craft Beer Brew. Welcome to the Craft Beer and Brewing Podcast. I'm your host, co-founder and editorial director of Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine, Jamie Bogner. Uh, my guest on the podcast today is joining me from Greenville, South Carolina, Sean Johnson of Birds Fly South. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Sean. Yeah, thank you very much uh, for having me here, Jamie. I'm a big fan of the podcast and, of course, everything you guys do, so I'm uh, super excited to be here. Thank you. Well, we appreciate it. You know, it was uh, Stan Hieronymus who put you on our radar uh, back, I guess it was 2017, in our best of beer and kind of uh, name-checked Birds Fly South. That was the, like... Oh wait, we got a who? Who is this? What's this small brewery in South Carolina doing down there? And that kind of kickstarted things. We got in touch, and uh, I remember we you came out to our one of our brewery accelerator events up in uh, Asheville and sat in on a panel. And uh, it's been fun to watch your brewery continue to develop. And uh, you know, beers, of course, guys have uh, sent to us have certainly uh, rocked some of our judges' worlds here and there. I uh, really loved that uh, red barrel, red wine barrel aged uh, Empress Rising uh, barrel aged stout for last stout issue. Uh, in fact when i was mentioning this to joe he was like yeah i still remember that beer and uh now it stood out to him so anyway can't wait to talk to you about brewing i know we're going to talk about uh, some farmhouse beers and funky beers and uh, uh mixed culture fermentation and uh, a whole bunch of other things along the way but first nearly 2,000 breweries across the u.s canada and mexico partner with gnd chillers innovative modular designs and no proprietary parts propel gnd ahead as the premier choice for your glycol chilling needs Breweries you recognize like Russian River and Kasi, Jack Savvy, Samuel Adams, and a bunch more breweries you've heard on this very podcast all trust GD to chill the beer you love. Call GD Chillers to discuss your project today or reach out directly at gdchillers.com. Also, this podcast is brought to you by RAR North Star Pills, a new base malt to set your compass by. RAR North Star Pills is crafted for brewers looking for a domestic Pilsner malt with low color and low modification. North Star Pills carries overtones of honey and sweet bread, supported by flavors and aromas of hay and nutty character. Suitable for any beer style, but particularly craft-brewed versions of classic lagers. Let RAR North Star Pills guide your craft by visiting bsgcraftbrewing.com or contact them at 1-800-374-2739. Before we jump into this episode, uh, just want to say a few things. Happy Hanukkah to those that are celebrating over the next few days. Um, also, if you haven't and you are out there in the world of brewing, contact your local elected officials and demand support for the hospitality industry. Um, there are so many small brewing and hospitality businesses right now that are suffering through these uh, shutdowns, completely necessary shutdowns for public health. Um, but the one thing that we need to do collectively all together is get in touch with our elected officials and ask them to do what they need to do to support these businesses um, help these small entrepreneurs survive through these necessary shutdowns. So do it. If you haven't done it yet, you can listen to the episode of the podcast you did with Julie Verratti, who kind of gives you a playbook for how to interact with your local elected officials. It's incredibly important. If you're a consumer listening to this, get out there.
there, support those local businesses that you want to survive. If you don't spend your money there, they will not make it through. So uh, I've been trying to spend until it hurts, um, eating out and dining, uh, getting takeout as much as I possibly can, stopping by local breweries and buying some crowlers, buying some six packs to go. Uh, it is that kind of support for those small local breweries that um, that is going to make the difference for them. So uh, off of my soapbox, Sean, welcome to the podcast again. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a great soapbox to be on. It's uh, very true right now. For, uh, for everybody so that's great and, and a lot of brewers guilds have links as well to uh be able to uh reach out to your officials as well to uh, talk about uh, continuing our tax breaks and other things like that that can help us further on too but no it's all good yeah so, yeah. yeah hi <laughs> <laughs> so uh yeah how are how are things in south carolina and then uh you know, why don't you also walk us through some of your uh your brewing history yeah all right so uh south greenville here in south carolina south carolina general um still under the, the reduced capacity rates. Um, and we have a curfew in effect as well. I think it's yeah. 11, 11 o'clock right now. Um, yeah, and then uh, just businesses, it's just an interesting model right now. A lot of more distribution uh, than we ever thought we would be doing at this time in our period in our life. Um, and, uh, you know, tap room is just slowish. It's a comfortable type of thing. Uh, we have a large right. beer, beer garden, which helps people uh, feel a little more relaxed. Um, but getting into the cooler months now, um, it's going to slow down a little bit. And yeah, other than that, I mean, South Carolina, they're, they're sensitive to cool down there in South Carolina. Oh, yeah. It's funny. That, I'm out here in Colorado. Uh, it's uh, been in the thirties this week and, you know, people are in full coats sitting in front of fire pits outdoors on patios oh. because uh, they're a hearty bunch and they're going <laughs> to drink some yeah. beer together no matter what. But uh, you know, when it gets cold in the, in the South, it, uh, it affects people. Uh, cold, cold in the South is under 60. Um, pretty much it's it, the whole, yeah. everything changes once it hits about 55 and it's, we've been touching the thirties here for about the past week. Oh, wow. And, uh, I, most people just stay in their pajamas in their house is pretty much what happens around here. Uh, yeah. I grew up in central Florida and uh, yeah, when it gets down to, you know, under anything under 70, mom's got a fire in the fireplace. Oh, yeah. So, my, yeah. my wife's from Florida and, and that's a, that's a joke of, of ours. She's uh yeah, under 70, she's freezing. Yeah. Yeah. So talk to me about, uh, your brewing history. Uh, how'd you get into this and, uh, you know, what, what's, uh, what did that arc look like for you? So, yeah. So, uh, you know, beer fan, beer drinker, uh, that's pretty much how all of us get into it. Um, you read a story that, uh, making your own homebrew was cheaper than, uh, buying it. And, uh, so I was like, this is what I want to do. Uh, so I started trying to make beer and, uh, my very first beer I ever did was like an American pale ale. Didn't know anything I was doing oxidized and just, Ho- I mean, horrible, ho- yeah, ho- horrible. Yeah. And so I, my first beer sucked. It really did. It was terrible. Um, but I got lucky. It was in, in Florida and uh, Bob Sylvester St. Somewhere um, had this thing. You could volunteer to go bottle beer. And uh, I was like, man, this, this sounds really, really interesting and cool. And I reached out to get on the list and nothing happened. And I had drank a beer, a Saison, a theme. And I was like, man, this, this is beer. Like I've, I'm in love with the style of beer, these flavors, these kinds of things. Got lucky enough to run across him at a beer festival. Um, of course, it's at the end of the beer festival when I'm a little more gabby and, uh, <laughs> than I needed to be. And uh, You built up some liquid courage. Oh, tons of it, yeah. And uh, so I started talking to him and just talking his ear off and, and all kinds of things. And uh, yeah, I walked away. My wife was like, he's never going to reach out to you. Yeah, it was, you're just over the top. And uh, I was like, oh, but I'm a fan. Like, he, he's going to do it. He's going to do it. So, yeah. So, I uh, started emailing him. And I would email him like, uh, hey, just reconnecting with you. Just you talked about maybe me coming and brewing a beer with you, this kind of stuff. 
never replied, never replied, never replied. And uh, so I started getting more creative. I started writing like short story emails, like narratives and just all just being as silly as I possibly could. And then finally he replied back and he was like, uh, I start at six. Is that too early for you or something like that? And uh, I was in the Coast Guard uh, for 22 years. So I was like, six o'clock, dude, I've already run three miles. And how do you want your coffee, dude? Um, so uh, yeah, that's how it started. And um, I showed up and showed up every single morning. He couldn't get rid of me. Um, he nicknamed me Alcott's O-W-C-O-T-S, one who comes on too strong. And uh, I apprenticed with him for two years, making beer and, and learning farmhouse style with him and just a world of beer as well. The dude is super smart about beer in general, not just this, that style, but everything. That was a good couple of years. And then the uh, Coast Guard moved us um, to Washington, D.C. area um, to take a, a desk job there and uh, kind of got involved with some people up there, just trying to find some more brewing uh, gigs and whatever I could do. Uh, latched on to a company, Fairwinds Brewing Company, that opened in Norton, Virginia. So I was able to kind of help run their pilot system with a gentleman named Todd Parker back then. Um, get get their pilot brews kind of established, uh, work on the contract stuff and, and kind of get that brewery up and running. It's a larger 30 barrel um, you know, IPA Kolsch kind of style brewery. Um, so helped get that going. And then, yeah, then moved here to uh, Greenville, getting the Coast Guard, moving us down here. And uh, I was like, man, I want to try this little side project, barrel project thing. Scratched up enough change and went over to Thomas Creek uh, locally here. Been 25 years now, I think. Talked to Tom Davis there, and he was pretty sketched about me bringing in some wild stuff into his big clean house brewery. But it finally built his confidence in me and uh, ran me through the gamut, made me brew on his, on his system and just do all kinds of stuff to prove I wasn't just talking shit and yeah, then he's like, here you go. You can have this section here. You buy all your stuff. You can run Birds Fly South out of here. And so we started barrel aging at that point, uh, about a year long. Uh, my first brews were all going into our barrel program. And it was about, about a year later, my wife was like, so when does this thing actually start making money? <laughs> like, right. she, yeah, she's like, you have way more patience on the slow beer thing than, uh, than I have right now with our checkbook. So uh, yeah, we started just putting out beer there. Um, you know, it, it it worked, went well. So then we built our brick and mortar here, and we're in year five uh, in our Hampton Station location here. Now, uh, with the brewery, uh, as you kind of expanded and went uh, taproom focused, you've uh, taken a broader path than style wise, and kind of uh, stretched out a bit beyond those, uh, uh, or sorry, in addition to those kind of farmhouse and, and funky roots. Yeah. Um, yeah, we're still doing uh, probably about 27-ish, 30% of our production is still on the like full mixed culture, Brett-focused, funk-focused beers. Yeah. Um, that's not including like sours and fruited sour type stuff, but Brett-focused. We're still running close to 30%. Uh, but yeah, uh, we had to. Um, when the green bottle, when the bottles in general died across America, um, it really <laughs> right. really took a hit on, a, on, our, on our plan for sure. But yeah. Uh, yeah, if you're, you know, if you're a hospitality focused business and you want to invite people to to come and uh, and drink beer with you, you want to make sure that there's a variety of styles that they can enjoy, and uh, mm -hmm. especially a place like South Carolina, not necessarily known for uh, you know hardcore um, 
farmhouse funky beer audience, uh, or at least not an inbuilt one. Um, talk to me a little bit about uh, uh, you know being a uh, a force for uh, education in that kind of style in your local marketplace. Yeah, uh, that was definitely uh, step one that we had to learn really quickly was the things we were trying to produce and put out there. Um, it was a very niche market. It still relatively is, um, you know, in comparison to the broader styles. But it you know, just it was yeah far out there. I mean, this this is light lager world um, in, in general. You know, IPA of course is always going to be reign supreme, be king uh, anywhere. But uh, right. You know, they're very light beer focused, very light, you know, type style focus and you know, craft beer and everything is pretty, you know, Blue Moon and your larger, larger brands, you sure. Sierra Nevada. Um, yeah. So that was a big thing. And that's for, not a knock on anywhere in the South. Oh, like that's what no. all, that's what beer drinkers have been everywhere in the country. And it's been up to craft brewers to kind of spread that gospel to them. It, 100%. Yeah, yeah. No. And, and I mean, as we all know, I, I enjoy a light lager. <laughs> Just as much as the next guy, but uh, if you're a brewer, yeah. you definitely do. Yeah, um, yeah. So that's, I mean, that was that's that's just very. It's just the facts of where we were at. Right. Um, so yeah, the beginning of this all was a lot of a lot of pavement pounding, a lot of hand sales for a couple of years, um, trying to get our product and explore the flavors with the people. Um, really put across our kind of some of our mantras and mottos we have here about being experiential products, experiential beers. Um, like remembrance, remembering a beer, um, finding new flavors, that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, uh, a lot of education, even through the hands of our distributor to some degree too, of some of the products we were trying to make at the time. Um, my sales guy came on pretty much a year after we uh, started. So he's been with us like four years now. And he's been great about it. He's worked larger markets and really good about trying to get that message across to everybody. But he's a big part of it. And you have done some of that, found strategic distribution partners, um, you know, in some out-of-state areas where there are larger metro areas and, you know, potentially more drinkers for the kind of niche styles that you make. Um, you know, that's a, a, a little bit of a different strategy compared to a lot of breweries these days that are just keeping it, um, you know, in their immediate tap room and special types of releases like that. Um, but I guess you knew that you needed to find people that could, uh, that would, you know, the larger audience that could also uh, be into what you do. Yeah. Um, so I always kind of grew up and just getting into the business side of stuff, also kind of the distribution kind of models of like shallow, wide, deep and narrow type of stuff. And uh, knowing your market and knowing who you, what you're capable of doing at home um, really drives kind of where you're, you should be thinking about your product. And uh, South Carolina, Greenville in general, didn't have many like taproom type environments. So when we opened ours up, it was, it, there were some involved, but it wasn't like, it, we kind of did it a little differently. Um, and so that was a, that was a, that was a big step for us too, in terms of education. We had a, a place that people wanted to come and try to learn about these products, but the distribution side, the market in, with, here is pretty um, narrow and deep and, and really focused right. like, on loggers and IPAs and things like that. So yeah, shallow and wide, uh, reached out to the people in the markets um, up North or wherever we could run our beer at and people that probably, you know, could understand it a little better and started just gaining momentum on that side that way. So we kind of run really two businesses here completely. We have two, two separate brew houses as well. Um, and so the front is a shallow wide distribution model. I and mean, those beers go uh, as far as Taiwan 
um, wow. Palace of Beer to Taiwan. They like funky beer over there. And uh, the front and the back space here is pretty much South Carolina, North Carolina focused. Yeah. Um, let's, uh, let's talk about some of those specific beers, but before we do that, tired of trial and error carbonation processes, then look at Quantiperm's innovative automated carbonation systems for precise carbonation. These systems handle wide flow ranges to accommodate all your beer, wine, soda, or cider styles. You can even carbonate and directly send the products to a packaging line without tankage. Besides carbonation, Quantiperm offers robust and economical systems for nitrogenation and water deoxygenation. All of their systems have an easy-to-use graphical user interface with reports and graphs that you can pull up on your mobile device. Visit Quantiperm for more information. Also, Grandstand is your source for the latest trends in custom-printed drinkware, apparel, and promotional items. They make your job easy by serving as your one-stop shop for everything. Visit eGrandstand forward slash lookbook to see what's trending. Uh, that word deoxygenation is going to, it gets me every single time. Yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> that's a lot of letters for sure. <laughs> oh. um, so let's talk about farmhouse beers. Obviously you got your, uh, uh, your start in kind of professional brewing apprenticing with uh, Bob Sylvester at St. Somewhere. Um, Bob is, was pioneer in that kind of style starting out in what the mid 2000s, 2005, 2006 kind of era when uh, most folks in the United States hadn't even heard the word Saison, much less were, uh, were you know, interested in brewing with Britannomyces. Um, you know, and so that's clearly a formative experience for you. Um, yeah, you know, talk to me about uh, uh, as you were thinking about wanting to make these beers and do it in a kind of commercial space. Um, how, you know, how'd you conceive of uh, what you were going to do that was going to make it uh, uh, something that was worth building a business around? You know, I think it's one thing to enjoy these beers, but it's also, you know, as a creative person, you also have to think, I want to make something that's also going to earn its place in the world. Um, you know, and so as you were, you know, trying to think about that from a creative standpoint, uh, how'd you start honing that creative vision for the, the farmhouse beers that you're going to make? Yeah. Uh, so we first started out, we were pretty much trying making farmhouse style beers based off of Bob's kind of model, um, right. red wine, open top fermenters, flat dish bottom style. Um, and they were, they were fine. They were expressive and, and good. Um, and then I started thinking about, um, kind of running uh, different tangents. So we started using boutique hops, uh, higher hopping rates on our saisons, So they're a little more like a, a Brett pale L almost is kind of where they come across. Now some of these are teetering on that line. Yeah. Um, and then Solera. So we started using, um, you know, punchins and this is like five years ago, we drilled holes and we made big valve settings on our punchins racks. And we ran each brand into those for a while. And then we just consent continuously are cycling around. So they get wood aging. There's literally five year old culture that develops brand new eyes and rustic Sunday separately. Now, um, yeah. Then we just do fresh batches and we just keep going back and forth. And it was the idea was. So you've to, got those punch set up in an almost union system then so that they, uh, okay, that's cool. And, and so we started, it's a lot of, so again, labors of love, but uh, yeah, we started, yeah. we started running them around like this and uh, just the flavors became more solid. Um, the beers are finishing a lot quicker and developing our flavor profile, going in the package um, as a fresh beer very you know very happy with the level of funk we were getting at that time acidity does take a while to develop in the bottle but um it it was just like just i came in one day at thomas creek and brett who's my head brewer here now he was working there and i was like dude i got this idea i had this crazy dream and it literally it was ron jeffries in my dream and said uh 
<laughs> and said, no, the beer has to keep moving. You got to, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's stuff like that. And I don't even know his process, but I was like, that's it. That's what we're going to do. So we came in, just revamped the whole process, mind mapped it, just did all that stuff. And uh, yeah, we still do it to this day. Um, and that's kind of, I guess, where we were taken as a creative thing, uh, trying to develop a expressive, like a true house kind of flavor um, as well. Um, that's where that's where it comes from. Um, and just kind of pushing um, ourselves in that direction. And then uh, hopping rates. I mean, we're doing, we, we do, we do you know, New England grist. We only do like one hazy a quarter, like clean beer. But uh, we do that with our farmhouse and funk beers now. Um, so they're basically huge New England hopped Brett beers now that we're putting out, things like that. Um, just kind of always trying to see how we can meld the two worlds together and like the current trends with kind of our old world kind of thought process on, on flavors we want. Sure. Sure. Let's, I'm, I'm want to stay on this kind of Solera method. So you're using punch-ins or there's like 500, uh, liter punch-ins mm-hmm. and what is the kind of architecture between them look like? Uh, you know, are you using fooders also or is, um, yeah, and I'm curious, what the difference would be because i mean obviously from a larger vessel like a fooder you can solera by drawing stuff off pushing new beer in on top of the old beer and it's a relatively simple process and straightforward in that way um you know from thinking about this kind of punching system versus uh, kind of solera uh what uh, from a brewing perspective are, are the differences of these yeah so i mean it's it's i mean it's pretty much a hybrid of both is kind of what we do um, okay we do run our fooders, same process, draw some off, retop it off um, continuously. Um, the punch-ins will actually pull, so we'll, we'll brew a fresh batch of, say, brand new eyes. We'll put that into our open fermenter. We pitch our bird yeast on it, which is our like house culture that's it literally has never died. Um, we put that in there, it begins fermentation. And then we pretty much draw from oldest stock punch-in, and then we top off the newer punch-in into the top of that. They were fermenting old stock with the fresh brand, brand, brand new one. And then when we're done fermenting, we actually draw that back out and top off the older punch that we pulled from. Does that make sense? Yeah. So we kind of like, it's kind of like a double pull system is what we do. They're not permanently connected to each other or anything, but. Uh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So we're just kind of racking between old stock to new stock to the freshest stock and then putting it back on. And I guess that gives you a bit of a, a fail safe in case anything horrible happens along the way. Yeah, it's just protected the whole time. Yeah, we, yeah, we can we can sense something or taste something well before we begin using it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, has that ever happened to you? I mean, I know talking to uh, Kreider out at Second Shift, you know, they had a moment where uh, the you know after years of the culture just like you know performing to T, it just stopped. And, you know, they had to figure out and, and lost barrels and had to, you know, figure out how to restart it and get back to where they were. Um, and that's certainly the kind of nightmare scenario that keeps mixed fermentation brewers up at night. Um, you know, have you ever uh, had something like that happen to you? Yeah, we, we've had like our culture stall out. Um, yeah. It just, just ends at like, say, four Play-Doh or something. And we uh, will mess with it, try to get it restarted or re-kicking and if it stays there um we'll we'll use some of our other barrels that have solid fermentation profiles and we'll actually just go ahead and move that beer to a tote to make a fruited brett beer of some kind and then move that beer into those barrels to help the culture re kind of establish itself um and most of the time it finishes out pretty close to the original brand sometimes we have to like readjust it 
Um, but then we'll harvest kind of from that section of barrels um, and then use that as we go further. What was the origin of this culture and how'd you go about uh, building and developing it and then uh, honing it into a, a flavor that, uh, that you enjoyed? I know that, you know, th- there are a couple of, there's two different mindsets on this. There is the, we're going to make it with this culture and it's going to be what it's going to be. But then there's also the, we need to, you know, this needs to hit a flavor profile that people will enjoy drinking. Um, you know, and so we want to massage it towards that and kind of select it towards that. Um, talk to me a little bit about that development process, uh, with your culture. Yeah. So the, uh, original bird kind of traveled with me everywhere from Florida, um, some other projects up in the DC area. Um, and then down to Greenville, the original bird. Yeah. I, now I, I got to give you credit for staying on brand on this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was, it was, at the you time, got a, you've got yeah. a great, a great hook on this. Yeah. At the, uh, yeah, at the, uh, at the time it was actually beast mode for Marshawn Lynch is when I started. It. Okay. But, uh, and the, uh, we still have an original carboy in the brewery that still has some of the culture we'll do like side projects with, and it still is Sharpie markered across at beast mode. So that was the original name of the, uh, the Brett Saison blend that I had that was just chewing through everything. I was like, it's like Marshawn Lynch. So, uh, and that's, I'm a Seattle boy. So, you know, Seahawks fan. So that's where yeah. it comes from. But, uh, uh, yeah. So, um, it, you know, we traveled around and just different projects or fermentations that I was doing as a home brewer or with Bob or something that I was really proud of or excited for. I would just add that into my culture and then, and then keep on producing stuff and then find the right blends of Brett and, uh, Saison that I wanted ratio wise, um, got into microscoping and all that fun lab stuff. Um, yeah. And then we, we get what here. Is the, no, no. I, what does that mean? Are you in terms of the, the right ratio between, you're talking about between uh, kind of sack uh, yeast, you know, on that kind of Saison strain side and the number of Brett cells, how, um, how do you select for that as you are throwing that under a microscope and then kind of pitching and pushing that forward? Yeah, so we uh, we don't do that. We don't microscope anymore because okay. <laughs> now now what we do now you is got we it. Have, you got it. You're happy with it. We have three we have three brinks of the bird going at all times. Okay, yeah. and then uh, and then we just again we're just continually populating each other as one gets a little more Brett forward. We'll actually blend that into the other brinks and kind of keep our our balance that way. Now, yeah. Oh no, I don't have time anymore to do that. And, <laughs> you know, there's no point. There's- but back in the day, how did you do that? I mean, were you just deciding like this, this, uh, this sample that I've got here has a better balance of, uh, of sack to Brett and we want to kind of push forward with this one or, uh, 100%. Yep. And then I would, okay. I would microscope and just literally he was talking to her, just count cells and kind of be like, Oh, it's a 60, 40 or it's a 70, 30, this direction, whatever kind of thing. And then just kind of, and then as my fermentations were hitting a certain flavor profile, I'm just, just finding that kind of ratio that I wanted. Um, and then just main, trying to maintain that as much as possible. Um, so we'll play with different grists and stuff like that to kind of rebalance the Saison over the Brett and things like that. Um, but for the most part, it pretty much just lives freely now inside of these three brinks that we haven't really done anything with for four years. Uh, have you ever had it analyzed to know what uh, your kind of Brett versus sack yeast mix looks like in there? I, we should now. Um we really should. Uh, I just, I never have because it's, I don't, I just, I don't know why I never have. Um, hmm. Pablo at White Labs keeps telling me to do it. He would love to do it. Um, I just, I don't know why. Um, Stan asked me the same question. I just, I don't know. I guess I don't want to find out there's something in there that I don't want it to be in there. 
and just be like, oh no, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I just, I guess I just haven't got around to it or I don't know, but it'd be fun to see for sure. Flavor wise. Uh, do you have any idea what you think uh, might be in there? Uh, it's, it's, so we're, su- it's going to be super Brooks heavy, uh, multiple yeah. strains of Brooks's. Um, I've always been a Brooks fan um, across the board. So we definitely use a lot of that. Um, and then uh, I do think that there is some bacteria that's inside of there now. Um, probably more lacto heavy than anything else. Um, yeah. And I don't know which strain. It's definitely more pineapple-y and fruity um, type of thing. So I don't. I think I don't think it's like Delbrecki or something. Um, yeah. And then it, I don't know if there's other critters in there. I guess that's sure. why I don't want to find out. But. <laughs> um, you mentioned uh, uh, adjusting the grist to make it more saison-y. Um, talk to me, uh, you know, about that kind of uh, you know principle. Yeah. Uh, so pretty much we just we just we just mess with our, our dextrin ratio, um, and uh, it will run like a, a lighter dextrin grist or malt when we really want to fire off our saison and let our brett kind of secondary thing. Um, we do pitch high temp. I know there's like a lot of people that do different things, but um, I believe in life at 30 C. That was a joke me and Bob used to say all the time. <laughs> so we let ours go in as hot as possible. Um, free rise above 90, we're not afraid of. We do that all the time. Um, yeah, and then if we are looking for a longer Brett development over, over time, um, we'll long chain it somehow. So, you know, flakes of some kind or do something similar to that just to give it a little longer uh chew for the bread and uh yeah and that definitely brings in um for us a lot more opportunity for the acidity to really peak um going in the package when we long chain it but and so you're kind of manipulating fermentation time and fermentability in order to kind of tweak the levers on these various components in the beer mm-hmm. cool let's talk about hops because that uh you know certainly has another impact there um you mentioned trying to you know pull in new school hops uh you know and uh, and span this hazy ipa world with the farmhouse world uh um you know how are you uh, tweaking those hops levers to uh, to also affect the kind of uh fermentation and process uh, of the culture itself yeah so i mean hops obviously when we get if our culture starts developing a strong acid profile right off the bat um, the next round will increase our IBUs pretty high. Uh, most of our saisons in general are in the 35 IBU range um, wow. almost all the time. Um, the culture still functions even at that? It still does, yeah. Um, yeah, it, it, hasn't, it doesn't have a problem with it at all. So we run about 35 IBUs on all our core Solera farmhouse beers, um, all our heavy hop beers um, are around the 25-ish IBU range. And just... 100% doing New England profile hopping on them. Uh, so uh, zero, all late additions, zero minute additions, you know, a couple pounds, pound and a half or so in the, in the, fir- in the kettle with about a th- two to three pound dry hop on them. Uh, and what we'll do also is we do um, like bio, so biotransferring um, because we have open fermenters. Um, it's really hard to dry hop without you know, pressure to help those hops kind of get back into solution or stain solution. Right. So what we'll do is we'll actually do a couple different things. If we have an open conical, we'll actually move it over and dry hop second, or we'll actually add sugar at the time that we dry hop to kind of spark the yeast and, and the bread juicy functioning by then and get it to actually metabolize and biotransfer at that dry hop. So we'll like 
kind of help it out because sometimes two, two <laughs> so days. You're encouraging hops creep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, just going to feed the creep. Yeah, <laughs> you know the saying, right? Brett, Brett will eat, eat, you know, eat everything eventually. So right, we're just like, well, this one's going to wait a little longer before we go to package. Uh, but yeah, so we'll do that. So like, you know, sometimes our culture will be down to one Play-Doh in like seventy-two hours, and wow. uh, that's like from a twelve start or something, and. Uh, and you miss that opportunity to do some kind of great dry hop transfer with citra or something on, on the bread. So that's what we'll do. We'll just we'll feed sugar, kind of get the yeast back active again, give it some simple activity. And then we dry hop and it, the convection activity will then turn the hops around, get it all in solution. And then about three days later, we're ready to pull it out and clean it up. Interesting. I want to talk to you a little bit about funk. But before we do that, ABS Commercial is excited to be a part of today's podcast. ABS is a full brewery outfitter offering brew houses, tanks, keg washers, and small parts. ABS wanted to do something fun for the craft brewing industry and gave away an ABS Keg Viking keg washer live this past December 7th. Congratulations to Lazy Horse Brewing and Winery in Nebraska, who are the new proud owners of a keg Viking. To make sure you're on the list for future giveaways, go to www.abs-commercial.com. Click on the Keg Viking page and fill out the contact form to stay in the know. Also, Craft Beer and Brewing's all-access subscriptions give you a year of the print and digital editions of the magazine, plus access to our library of video courses, a special deep dive email only for all-access subscribers, premium content, and all-access exclusive merchandise. Subscribers are the first to see every new issue, including our annual Best in Beer issue that's out now. Go to beerandbrewing.com, click on the subscribe button, and join now. So, Sean, one of the, you know, kind of components in funk development, especially in kind of in brat beers, is the, uh, that kind of, um, you know, sulfury aged hops character that, uh, you know, Brett seems to metabolize into uh, fun flavors that uh, we all love so much. You know, as you're kind of pushing this New England style of hopping, it seems like you're taking a little bit of a different approach. How do you balance that funk production, um, you know, within your beer with this kind of brighter, juicier hops character? uh i don't know it just does it <laughs> I, I mean I, i'm not yeah i don't highly I don't, technical answer high, right high, yeah i mean uh sometimes you just gotta saying we have around here just trust in the brett um right yeah i mean that's that's really it we've just we've tried just play with different techniques and we've found ways that it just it hits and, and develops and and uh i i don't know why to be honest <laughs> um we have done aged hops beers um and you know we i we i love blue cheese and funk just as much as right any other farmhouse guy out there um and you know those beers just take a little more time before they're um approachable to the to the market what we've learned um whereas you know these hoppier beers profiles kind of have been able to cross over people into some of our more exotic style of of farmhouse and saison style beers because it's a it's a mosaic hop or big secret hop you know funky beer Man, spoken like a true drug dealer right there. Yeah, like, we're just gonna we're just gonna give them a little taste here. We're gonna move them over to this farmhouse side by yeah. giving them some of that juicy hops character that they love. Uh, what, Smart, one hundred percent, man. <laughs> so I'm, I'm your vice guy. Yeah. <laughs> Let's, uh, one of the things that you've done, speaking of like polarizing characters in farmhouse beer, one of the things you've done is, uh, uh, jumped on that green bottle train that, uh, it, that, uh, um, you know, Jeff Stuffings and Bob and others have, uh, have been kind of promoting and, and, um, and embracing some of that light struck character 
in your beer. Talk to me a little bit about the kind of idea behind that and how you manage some of that to kind of keep it under control and keep it uh, at the right place that, uh, you know, because certainly when those character, that character goes too far, it, uh, it can kind of go off of a, a, an even more polarizing deep end. I'm not going to say it's wrong or right. I'm just saying that there are people that may or may not like it. Yeah, no, um, it's, it is, it's a, it's a, it's a polarizing aspect. Um, I, so just growing up drinking farmhouse beer, um, everything was a green bottle back in the day. So you know, DuPont, yeah. Terrier. If you live in Washi, America, right. You're drinking it that way. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I just thought that's the way we did it. And when I started brewing with Bob, um, you know, that's what he did. Um, and the discussion is always like, is it part of it? Is it not part of it? That kind of thing. And I, I just, the way I figure is it is part of it because that's how it came to you. So it, 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 right or wrong or on purpose or not, that skunk flavor is, it's part of the style. Um, yeah. And so we've always been green bottle. We still green bottle uh, to this day, everything um, besides stouts, stouts going a different bottle. But uh, I, I don't ever want to go away from green bottles personally. I think the, the nostalgia of it for me just feels like home when I have this, green bottle and this bread bouquet popping out of it it just it feels like home um but yeah controlling it is difficult so when we uh when we package our beers um they immediately go in back into especially their- since you're talking about putting out 35 ibu farmhouse beers which clearly have a significant amount of alpha acid and then going into that kind of green container yeah no doubt um and our higher our higher hops of beers do achieve light struck character more rapidly sometimes than uh than we were playing for um yeah so they uh they they go into uh their case boxes pretty much immediately right after they're packaged um sealed off so they're stay dark as a condition um we try to condition as warm as as warm and fast as possible as well so that um they're ready to go out and not hopefully going to sit on a shelf for very long and get the uv effects you know, outside in the market. Right. Um, and that's it. So we just try to condition as fast as possible. Um, and, uh, and immediately store in, in our boxes, case boxes, uh, no outside storage of any kind, um, or light aging, I guess. Yep. Right. Right. But now once you put it out on a shelf, um, you can't, you know, and it goes into that distribution kind of channel, you can't control it. Uh, you know, have you gone out and tasted these that have sat out in typical kind of retail uh, conditions? And yeah, how do you how do you feel about those beers when you do that? The Pierce in me says fuck yeah, but <laughs> <laughs> um, no. So I, yeah, I, I, I we always I've always believed and we always you know say that like those styles, especially those styles of beers, are uh, they're aging, they're living, they're supposed to continue to develop in multiple ways, and you know that's. The guys that sell her and girls that sell her out there, you know, they get it. They buy two bottles, they, they age one, they buy three, whatever. And, and they understand that there's a development profile to certain styles of beers. Um, the normal consumer that may be coming across our beer for the first time, that's the fear that I have is like, it is an off-putting thing. I mean, Heineken gets away with it all the time, but like, you know, a, an American craft brewery in Greenville, South Carolina, for the first time, someone's having one of our Solera project beers never having us before opening it up and it's just a skunky monkey um can you know it could be a turnoff and so that's my fear um on those things so we just with our with our distributor partnerships we just really try to 
be really open and transparent with their pool process. And, 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 and we are, we consider ourselves a pool brewery, not a push brewery. Um, so we're only pretty much delivering what their like sales reports are saying they're actually selling. So even if they want 80 cases of a hazy IPA, historically they've only sold 30. We're not just going to try to grab the, the money off of selling those 80 cases to, to them. Um, because that's just not good for anybody. It's not good for them to have a, a product that's out there that, that goes bad or, or south, or it's not good for us for brand wise. So we just, we really share continuously with all our distributors, understand exactly what they need, how fast they're going through products so that it's as fresh as possible, um, continuously the whole time throughout, throughout the whole chain. Yeah. So ideally that stuff's just not sitting out on shelves, uh, getting more light struck, uh, as you yeah. know. Every now and then there's a gas station in like New Mexico that'll have a bottle of, we'll see it like on Untapped or something, you know, whatever. It's like, holy crap, we didn't make that beer that beer like four years ago. Like, I don't remember that beer. Yeah. Let's talk, uh, let's uh, switch gears and talk about some of the other, uh, other styles of beer you make. Um, you know, are there uh, any beers that you've been brewing this year or, you know, some kind of uh, uh, trends that you've seen in your consumers that have for demand around certain styles of beer that have kind of, pushed you to stretch out and uh you know try some other new things yeah i mean just now wrapping up our our production plan for 21 and kind of what that landscape looks like um for us um it it's you know it's it's what it is it's what the market drives for but um you know there's the the need for uh more ipas we um again we we have one year-round ipa that we do and uh and then we do a a seasonal or a quarterly release of an IPA. And that's been pretty good for us. A quarterly release of an IPA. Yeah. That's uh yeah. An atypical strategy for a brewery yeah. of your size. Well, again, we're, we're funk first here. So um, we're pr- I'm pretty proud that when you come in our brewery, you still get about 60% of funk on our taps. Um, we, we really try to hammer that home that that's who we, that's what we're proud of. That's who we are. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but no, the saying that though, we're going to make a little more next year. Um, IPA wise. Um, we do Imperial stouts, um, but we only do them once a year. They come out every November once a year. Um, markets and trends are showing that we should be trying to do those a little more often. So, but we have fun with that stuff. We do a farmhouse version. We do a red wine version. So we're staying true to kind of our core, uh, principles here as brewers. Um, but yeah, we're going to, we're going to have to dabble a little deeper into that kind of market segment as well. Um, Market trends, uh, you know, that, that is an interesting one because certainly there's question marks out there about the kind of, you know, viability of at a commercial and distro level of that kind of, you know, barrel aged stout and kind of specialty beer in general. But you're saying that uh, from what you see, the demand is definitely there for it. Yeah. And, and price conscious too. Um, okay. Yeah. I think, I think that's, that's the other trend that's happening that um, I'm excited for too, because uh, we've had a huge uptick this year in our, Pilsner and our week around Kolsch um, and it, it, a huge upswing in those because I think, you know, their, their price point is there and it fits our market. And I, I do think that there is an effect coming back to a rubber band kind of swinging back the other way now um, of beer drinkers, so to say, um, for lack of a better term, coming back around to beer flavors, um, but price conscious. So if we're going to put out these Imperial stouts, we can't expect to be charging Wow, whatever they, I don't know, some people, I think some people are charging like 30 something dollars for like a 375 or some things like this. Like, I think that's swinging, especially post pandemic, um, with everyone economically being hurt across the board. 
Um, so that's a big driver for us too is that's a weird one with that kind of pricing because you know there's the the anchorages and the side projects and the toppling goliaths um that have are certainly in their direct sales or in the case of anchorage sales through uh, tavor and, and that kind of channel that are able to kind of push new tiers but these are generally limited products that um um, that there is demand for that sell out quickly and you know that kind of limited nature of those seems to drive a um, an additional stomach for those price points and people you know there's that dueling kind of philosophy where people want to experience something special and they want to have a relationship with the brewery that's making that um but i think you know there is something to what you're saying whereas if you're putting that out to distributors and it's sitting on a store shelf that's a generally a different experience in terms of price point and the, the that kind of consumer has a different kind of calculus going on. Yeah, um, yeah, one hundred percent. I mean, if yeah, don't get me wrong, if, if I had the brewery that was as good as the guys you just were mentioning that could drive those kind of tiers, I probably would be still trying to do it. Um, but I, I think, uh, and I don't mean any negative judgment on them. I just, oh, I no. just spent a hundred dollars on a bottle of uh, Kentucky Brunch uh, Stout from yeah. Toppling Goliath, and you know, I, I'm happy that there is a world like this where these beers can exist. And I don't think that needs to be the only world of beer that exists. I think beer can, just like wine, exist on this wide spectrum of pricing and tiers, um, from the top end to a very accessible, um, you know, common man kind of approach, uh, you know, uh, for beer. And so it's probably a healthy thing that this broad spectrum exists and it's funny to hear all the beer people kind of like whinge about i can't believe they're charging this much for a beer i'm like hey you know if, if hey, there's a market for it and they can make it you know hey hate the player not the game or whatever it's called hate the game not the player uh i kudos to breweries that can that make that that quality of of, of beer and can and drive those kind of markets um just in our home market here um we're not structured as a brewery either to make the small enough quantity that we could sell at that high premium price. Um, like for our market here, that's really like a, about a three barrel ish batch. (laughs) And we just, I just, we're not structured that way here. So, um, just trying to figure out and we will, we will have some premium type of, uh, level stuff too. That would be like, you know, tap room only type model type stuff like that. But I think as, as we're, kind of as our awareness of our brand and our brewery is kind of becoming larger, we have to kind of balance those two worlds. Um, And and it's just, again, it's our market in South Carolina. There's not a huge um, release day turnout like you you see in, you know, Colorado and these other types of places. Um, This, this area, whatever, just really isn't, isn't into that. So you have to figure other ways to do it. No, fair enough. Well, let's talk about the beers themselves. So, um, yeah, this Empress Rising, uh, you know, barrel aged imperial stout was remarkable, and I, I, I love red wine barrel aged stouts primarily because we taste so many bourbon barrel aged stouts, many of which are which are fantastic. You know, um, that when a well made red barrel red wine barrel aged stout comes along, it provides a counterpoint, um, especially in a flight of barrel aged beers where you're tasting things together. Like this is different. Um, but it's interesting from a flavor perspective, talk to me a little bit and, and recipe kind of, you know, approach, how are you, um, is there any difference in design for, uh, you know, for your Imperial stouts, depending on what barrel they go into, maybe there's not. Um, but, uh, you know, is there, uh, what does that kind of look like for you and how do you adjust for uh, these varying flavor profiles of the barrels that you're using? Yeah. So we run, um, we run three different 
uh, Imperial Stout Grist. Um, Empress Rising is probably, that Grist profile is probably brewed the most for everything. Um, so all the bourbon barrel and the red wine barrels are the exact same product coming out of the firm. Yeah. Um, so Wolves in the Piano, which is our uh, maple syrup, um, double yeasted. So we use an American strain and we finish with a Belgian strain. Um, and that Imperial Stout has a little different grist profile um, uh, for that beer uh, to carry through. It's not as uh, thick and residual sugar like uh, Empress Rising tends to have. And then uh, if we do a farmhouse um, version, which we, we have some that we did Funk or, or Brett um, in barrels as well, um, we run that pretty much a smaller type of uh, grist because it's going to chew down further to get the ABV you want. And I don't want to put a 12 Play-Doh beer into a, a barrel and have to clean that shit up for <laughs> three months while it finishes out. So uh, we do change that one. Uh, so you, even with Wills in the piano, you finish, you said you finish it on a, um, a Belgian yeast. Mm -hmm. Um, talk to me a little bit about the, uh, design process around that and, uh, what that does for the flavor and sensory component of the beer. Yeah. So, uh, it's, it's fermented, uh, you know, with, a American high gravity yeast. Sometimes we use our Scottish, we use hot Scottish for all our IPAs. I, I really like Scottish yeast. Um, and, uh, we, uh, we, we ferment it however, till it's about done. And then we'll dump a bunch of maple syrup into the actual fermenter as well. Um, so it's like fermented maple syrup. It's not just like finished, super close, you know, sweet, syrupy. Right. Um, and then uh, we'll throw in um, some like high gravity Belgian yeast strains um, and let them kind of finish off on that, that syrup and the residual sugar left. And so you get this like, you kind of get like the molasses -y thing from the uh, maple syrup. But then it's like it hits you with like cherryish and the plum Belgianese kind of finish out. Um, we will free rise it as well where the Belgianese comes in. So it's able to produce some more ester profile. And it's a nice little like fruit cake of a, of a stout. Um, finishes off around 14% this year was. Wow. Um, and it just, it's a little bit of a easier drinking um, flavor profile than a, you know, super sweet, Chloe stout like what empress rising can be depending on what we do with it there's been kind of a lot of move within the world and you know even within things like imperial stout there is um cyclical trends i think that uh you know that move in different directions and for the the last i don't know four or five years we've definitely been moving in this direction of clean coffee uh roast and uh dark chocolate uh you know kind of uh you know centric flavors pushing that ester profile to the side and um you know and providing that you know kind of edgier um element in this kind of base stout in order to play against the, the high residual sweetness um and so it's you know but the history of these beers is such that uh you know for much of them they were made with a more ester forward and, and dark fruit component you know to those beers uh is this just uh you know you know from your perspective do you see things moving or is this just the way that you want to stake out territory for yourself yeah i again i think i think beer is cyclical um just like you're mentioning i think that uh you know i we make a year-round dry irish stout and it's four and a half percent roasty dry sometimes it tastes like a ashtray i feel like sometimes but, <laughs> that's um, nice like these yeah, yeah yep yeah and uh you know it, it's 
it's a big seller and and we appreciate that kind of i guess coming back to kind of like these original flavors i was just literally thinking yesterday that this year one of our imperial style releases i really want to make like old rasputin i mean holy crap I mean, that beer was incredible back in the day and yeah. and the flavors it had going on i think it's going to come back around i do crank uh, it up past 100 ibus and just make man. it like true over the top true true russian style yeah um yeah i uh um as far as wolves go um yeah it's really just about exploration one of our um uh core principles here um is to never stop exploring and we mean that as individuals um talents that everybody in this company brings to the table um us as beer beer drinkers um you know push it push yourself to explore other styles of beer try a seltzer if you if you want to you know whatever i explore every possible thing and i know i just opened up the can but um, (laughs) and you know i'm gonna go there (laughs) yeah but um you know but explore you know explore 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 so that's kind of what wolves in the piano was hatched from is basically me pushing myself um as a brewer and uh trying to take something that people were doing and twist it maybe and hopefully it worked out yeah so are you making seltzer we have not no you haven't yet. No, we have not. But you're philosophically <laughs> and conceptually okay with it. Uh, yeah, I, you know, I, hey, if it if it works again, knowing your uh, knowing your home court, right? Um, I I think if it's done well, I mean, that's number one. Is if, if you're making a quality product, I don't. I mean, me personally, I don't know to say anyways what you do. Um, but yeah, it's it's if you make a great great product and it, it sells for you and it's a quality product that you could actually hang your hat on as a craft product, then. That, I mean, go for it. I mean, absolutely. Um, I never thought that we'd be making ridiculously fruited sours. I always thought we'd be able to make these balanced, nuanced, you know, kind of old world sours. But it, it, our market says, just like every market almost says now, you need to have these like ridiculously fruited sours going on. Um, yeah, I, yeah, absolutely. If it works for you and you can do it right, I mean, you should. Why not? Yeah, and I guess that speaks to that. There is, you know, as a, uh, creative person and also a business owner you are constantly trying to balance that vision of what you want to create against what the market and your uh, is for it and what your consumers want to drink because ultimately if it was just about your own vision you just could stay a home brewer and brew exactly what you want for yourself but uh, yeah. if you want to have a business you need to make things that other people want to drink yeah. you know and and even among you know some of those old school classics that we you know hold up as uh um, uh, as models on that kind of more niche beer world, even folks like, you know, Cantillon have had to over the years, you know, work on and add to their fruit beer portfolio, try new ingredients, change some of their processes, uh, to make sure that their beers are still, um, hitting today's consumers in the way that they want to you know, hit them. You know, so even your old, old school German lager breweries are playing around with more hops and some more contemporary uh, approaches mm-hmm. to some of their things in order to kind of create a story and keep people interested. And so, um, you know, this is, uh, the, the history of beer has never been one that's always stayed in one place. It has always been about brewers responding to drinkers and, uh, and kind of sharing that pathway forward. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, starting a brewery, I always say like, yeah, I mean, everyone loves my beer. It's in my garage. It's free. Um, but as soon as you start a brewery, someone's going to be willing to pay five, seven, eight dollars a pint or whatever you're charging. I mean, that's 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 literally listening to the things around you. Um, and we, you know, we we understand that as a business, we have to have what we call cash grab beers. 
And as much as we sit around drinking brand new eyes after work every day, um, we're probably drinking the most of it in the tap room right now. Uh, but yeah, no, it's, it's, you have to, you have to, you have to find that balance of, uh, you know, the, keeping the cash coming in and, and then being able to supply the, the fuel and the, and the resources behind your passion projects and experimental projects. And you all have definitely still held true to that vision. And, you know, the fact that you are making, you know, beers that, uh, and still putting out there in a very significant number, you know, beers that are in that kind of, you know, funk first approach um, does say a lot about sticking to your guns. And that if you do it well, that, uh, you know, people will, will find it and they will continue to buy it from you. Um, on, you know, we talked about it for a minute, uh, on the, you know, IPA becoming a bigger part of what the brewery does. When you say bigger, what does bigger look like for you? Uh, probably more like a monthly release month yeah. instead of quarterly. Instead of quarterly. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I know there's so many brewers listening that like they release an IPA once a quarter. That is absolutely insane uh, well, because we keep four on our tap list or eight on yeah. our tap list at any given moment. Uh, yeah. In our tap room. And remember, we, we kind of cross that bridge with our, our funky hoppier styles too. So yeah. it's not like, uh, you know, there's plenty of hophead uh, flavors, I guess, or whatever for everybody here. Uh, no, we're talking more like the uh, trendier style IPA. Um, we, yeah. we, we've dabbled before in doing milkshake ipas and all different things i don't know if we'd go back there again to be honest um but a, a good flavorful um you know balanced new england kind of style um ipa we do this again rarely for us it's a lot but rarely um we're probably gonna have to you know monthly next next year put out a smallish 30 case or so can run um focus on our tap room kind of only kind of model on those things and just drive that style for us We've done pretty well with it and it's just it's time for us to turn it up a little bit and the reality wow. is we drink we drink a lot of sour and funky beer so it's either going to be our pilsner or a, a big iba ipa when we're done uh, with the day so um it's not like we don't want to drink them right right uh looking at uh, the next year ahead what uh, is there something in particular that you are singularly most excited about from a exploration and uh kind of brewing development process uh yeah so we i mean uh again it goes back to my funky side for me um we uh we were lucky enough this year um with fooder crafters that had this wonderful program many people probably knew about where you basically pay 50 percent down and 50 percent at the end of the, the pandemic to get a fooder in and uh we uh we took advantage of that and we were able to get our get a new fooder in um and it's a, a big 50 barrel um fooder and uh, it's named uh, Dolly Parton. My wife named it for us. Um, all our all our fooders are singing. She, Dolly is a hero. Oh, I mean, 100%. She's, she's a national treasure. Yeah. All our, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All our um, all our fooders are named after singer songwriters. And uh, she brought it to my attention. We didn't have any women names. And then all the stainless are hip hop legends. And there's not a lot of women on on that side either. And I was like, damn it, you're right. So her and the rest of the the group put together Dolly for us, but um so dolly is a big 50 barrel fooder and uh it's uh basically we're doing a new england single hop uh boil process and then pulling out batches and just dry hopping and we're moving to cans with it so we're doing some farmhouse can conditioning cans this year too um which is kind of blaspheme we just got done talking about green bottles and here i am saying that you're going to see can <laughs> cans of brand new eyes uh but uh yeah, so Flutter is the name of that that program. Um, uh, we've we've always done single kind of fermentations with these uh, uh, 
whatever funky hoppy beers. And uh, yeah. so now we're going to run a little more wood program on it, a little more Solera project or, you know, basic Solera draws and refills um, on top of our Brett strain and really try to push it with a solid bitterness hop kind of profile. Um, it's gone well. We've got the first pool right now. That's what I was just drinking. Um, it's done well. I'm pretty excited to kind of see where that goes this year for us. Um, yeah. And then, I mean, I'm excited for it. Actually, I really am excited to see some of our beers go into cans. Uh, the flavors, we've done some test batches on them. It, it, it is a little different than what we normally get out of our bottle refermentations. Uh, can comes out a little differently, but I, I think it, it's, it's, it's a good flavor profile that I'm pretty proud of as well. So I'm pretty excited to see that happen. Um, I hope and believe Are that you refermenting in, in cans and uh, carbonating in cans. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So it'll be full, just like we do our bottles so it'll be full yeah. can condition runs on our farmhouse beers. And uh, yeah, I, I hope, and I believe that that's going to probably get our beer into other people's hands that normally wouldn't go and buy a bottle as well. So I'm kind of mm. as a business owner and as uh, the, you know, the vision guy here, I'm pretty excited to kind of see that happen. Um, yeah. Yeah. Looking, uh, looking down the road, uh, looking past this pandemic, looking past all the immediate challenges that everyone's trying to work through. Um, what does success look like for birds fly South? When will you know that you all have achieved it? Hmm. Well, the immediate is uh, pay the next bill. Pay, pay, pay. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, continue paying my rent. Um, yeah, I, yeah, that. And, um, you know, I really success to, to us has always been about um, staying, staying on path to division and then, and then making a quality product and, and always being proud of what we put out. And I, I've always said, like, if we stay at the 3,000 barrel range, then if it's the best product that we can do and we're comfortably selling that at the rate that we need to, um, then that's probably where we need to stay at. And I find that as a success as a business. If, if we get pulled and we need to start making more beer, then we're going to welcome that kind of challenge as well, as long as we're maintaining the identity of you know, quality and, and being proud of our names on it from myself to packaging seller and you know, anybody, bartender serving it. Um, it's just, it's, it's part of our company. So for us, that's, that's what success is for me. Um, uh, inside his company. Sure, sure. GD Chillers is the premier choice for your glycol chilling needs. Set your compass by RAR North Star Pills. Quantiperm's innovative systems offer precise carbonation. Grandstand is your one stop shop for drinkware, apparel, and promotional items. Sign up at abs commercial.com for info on future giveaways and subscribe now to Craft Beer and Brewing to support this very podcast. Sean, if people want to learn more about uh, Birds Fly South, uh, where do they find you guys in real life uh, and on the interwebs? Yeah, so uh, BFS Beer, Birds Fly South Beer, is pretty much everything. So websites, bfsbeer.com, uh, Instagram, Twitter, and it's all at BFS Beer. Um, it's pretty, that's pretty streamlined. Uh, you know, we pretty much pump everything out those channels like everyone else does. Um, I'm at Saison Habit. If anyone ever wants to talk Saisons with me, that's, a, that's, that's me out there in the world. That is your jam. Well, thanks for talking with me on the, this episode of the podcast, Sean. I hope you guys uh, have a good holiday season and uh, um, can keep weathering this uh, temporary storm. It's, uh, it's nice to see that there's a light at the end of the tunnel, you know, for the broader health crisis. And I hope that um, our elected officials can help find a, a light at the end of the tunnel for 
all the small uh, hospitality focused businesses that are that are struggling through this. Yeah, 100%. And uh, again, I appreciate being on the show and, and you can't say that enough. Um, we all just got to stick together, stay strong, leverage each other, help each other as we can um, to get through this thing, um, do what we need to do as, as people in a population. And, and you're right, hopefully our government finally realizes that they should be leading, not just yeah. not just allowing us to fend for ourselves sometimes on these things. But uh, sure, sure. That's why we live in society to uh, uh, help each other uh, through the tough times and mitigate the risk for all of us so that we can all make it through together. Mm -hmm. Sean, thanks for talking to me. Uh, cheers. Yeah, cheers. Be good, everybody. Appreciate it. Thank you. This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at craftbeerbrew.com.